this episode we're going to be speaking on culture evolution and I have a new and fantastic addition to human becomings. So I've had Annalisa Ponsky on my show twice and we met when we went to university in Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin Parkside. Uh-huh. And we have done a lot of work together. We have collaborated on a lot of leadership efforts together and I thought she would be a brilliant addition to human becomings starting today. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me forever. You know, it's not just today. <laughs> On every show she's going to bring uh, insight. I thought that you would be a, a, just a brilliant addition because your background is, is, is in political science and that's just not limiting. But you've had a really diverse array of experience from political science to research, to economics, to leadership and everything, right? And even <laughs> arts, arts like, like dance. <laughs> <laughs> Education too. Right. Been with the kids. <laughs> yes. yes. So I feel that. I felt that you would make a great addition. So I'm really honoured that you said yes to come on board. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Anneli, today we're going to be talking about culture evolution. Mm-hmm. And we're going to expand on what culture evolution is and why it is important to shift that whole paradigm and mindset and really laggard ways of thinking of mm-hmm. culture fit mm-hmm. into culture evolution. So, let's talk a little bit about the current mindset, well, the current mindset is slowly moving and we are definitely going to be touching it from a three-prong perspective mm-hmm. as in, in a culture evolution from a n- national or global perspective as to how countries rule and then we'll move it into a different plane as to how companies are adopting mm-hmm. it and then culture in in communities and even in homes right mm-hmm. because culture is inherently present in every community or environment that humans belong to so let's start with healthy cultures so in from your perspective and your exposure what does healthy culture mean to you um to me i think it's about now I'm thinking about it in more of like the smaller, more localized communities. I think it's about having a culture where people can be open, people can be vocal about different things, um, that they can be free to like like what they like within reason, right? Um, as long as you're not hurting other people or harming anyone. Um, so I think it's about expressing yourself. I think that's like a good part of culture is being able to like show what you like, being able to share things and ideas. And that's really what I think about culture in like more of a localized sense. Mm-hmm. I like what you just said about expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that directly correlates to a recent research that my company did. And I, I did with my company, it's called Equity of Acceptance. And acceptance, it's all about expressing oneself, right? Mm-hmm. And acceptance comes from different planes where how am I accepted? How am I accepting them? How am I accepting myself? Mm-hmm. How are they accepting it? How are they accepting everyone else or 
have they accepted accepted themselves and that comes from a place of expressing oneself right? right when we express ourselves we are actually embracing our whole person whatever we are made out of mm-hmm. right our morals our values um our goals uh, practices and our characteristics and our personality too and and shared attitudes too so let's talk about uh, a little bit about shared attitudes in the frame in the framework of work of a culture from a localized sense right shared attitudes how does shared attitudes uh, influence for the good and for the bad right so we obviously have shared attitudes and you kind of think about do people want to conform or not i think that's where it, you know comes to me is yes you may have shared attitudes right we have similar like social structures maybe we adhere to um think about like culturally some things that have been kind of mainstays for us for a long time think about like the traditional maybe like family structure um like what does a family look like? And I think that we're now like seeing maybe a little bit of a test of what that looks like. So those are, I think, some shared attitudes that we've had like passed through generations. And I think um, you do have people who are now starting to think things like out of the norm and maybe we're approaching a paradigm shift. And I think that's about really thinking, you know, are we just conforming? Are we doing things because we've always done things that way? Or are we doing things because we actually like buy into the systems, we buy into the structure? So I think that's what I think about shared attitudes. I think it can be good if you find people who believe and you think like you, sometimes that is good to have like a sounding board, someone who can maybe think, reach the same conclusion, but have different ways in doing so. But I think there's also, you know, the negative aspect of that is like, are we conforming? Are we just doing group think? Is there an absence of critical thinking? So I think that's, there's, you know, good things. And there are also obviously negatives to having shared attitudes. Because we don't want just like a monopoly of thought, right? We want to have different views out. Right. And that's really important, right? To have that diverse thinking that diverse ideology and opinions in a culture and absolutely we need to lean away from that conformist aspect right uh, that framework where when everyone conforms it's all it also comes from a plane of um fear-based leadership and i feel not feel i've seen it, it, it so many times not not only from a country's perspective, right? How leaders, our world leaders are controlling their own countries where it's fear-based, where it pushes people to adopt this culture of conformists, right? And, and, and then even in organizations, that translates really well into organizations where leaders execute leadership in a way of fear-based leadership as to if you do not do this you have to report to me there's no sense of transparency there's no sense of trust there's no sense of time i i always go back to the 40s the time trans uh, time transmission transparency and trust because in order to have a really cohesive culture where you are evolving right where you are ever so evolving time needs to be implemented time when i say time you need to put in the time to really understand every human in 
your environment in in your safe space i call it safe space not because oh come here we will protect you but in a sense you are protecting them where you are valuing them you are accepting their sense of expression right because it takes time to understand your humans it takes time for your humans to understand you and then you go into transparency and we spoke about transparency a few weeks ago transparency as to not only where i agree with you just because you agree with me transparency as to okay let me be really honest as to how i feel how i look at things the perspective that i'm approaching it from and you be transparent with me in how you feel and and then let's have a dialogue about it and we can still have that transmission right it translate it really moves really well into transmission as to how well are we communicating communication is just not talk 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 uh, it's understanding it's trying to assimilate everything and digest and then comes into trust to truly build that trust you need to put in the time the transmission and the transparency to trust us to even but if you disagree even if you disagree with me and you say i'm not going to do this i should have the trust that okay annalie is not agreeing with me she's going to do something else i trust that she's got good judgment i trust that she's going to do something whatever that she can bring to the table right i, I go back to the 40s and these 40s are imperative to have in a culture but it needs to evolve and not just be stuck in logic ways no i also agree with you there was um one part that like kind of stuck out to me and it sticks out to me because i think it's why people now when i think about like our current political system i think why people are so upset as to like why things are going the way they are and i think it's really easy to say you know we don't we don't like like what's been said by like certain politicians we don't like that certain politicians are acting that way and i think what people are upset about but i don't think that they necessarily have like the words to say so as i think that they're um, upset with like a deviation of norms is like I feel like for so long that we've and this is really just to politics kind of what I know is we had like where it's like when people would talk about the politician like can I grab a beer with them are they personable um, do I expect Congress or you know what have you like getting to work and like working together for like the sake of this nation and if you look at what like you know what polling has for people it's you know we see in the polls like Congress you know their approval rating is like worse than Nick Cage movies or something like that. And I think it's because we've had like these expectations for what people have, like how people should act. And now we're seeing a deviation of norms. We feel like maybe we didn't feel like politics was really that transparent, but it's now it's like people definitely don't think it's transparent. They don't like that. Maybe there's not an honesty. It's because you've had like these expectations for so long and now we're deviating from them and people don't really like that and I think it's becoming more apparent because it's on a grand scale but I think you'll find a lot of people are upset you know I think about what happened recently with Ellen DeGeneres and people were really upset with her because she was right. talking about um, you know we just want to be kind to another and I'm friends with different people what have you about that and a lot of people were like yes yeah, she said it she finally said it and it was like these are the norms that like I feel like she validated what was like cultural norms for a lot of people and people were really happy about that like somebody understands me like I'm heard if we could just be kind to one another and um is that necessarily the right thing 
you know, what Alan said. I don't know. Um, I think we all have different opinions on it, but I think it was really just a testament as to like people feel like their norms are kind of withering away. And I think that's what's really scary to each other. I think when you've talked about like changing spaces, um, changing, you know, corporate structure, there's like a fear to it, right? Because we're so used to something looking this way. We're used to structures being this way. We're used to, you know, the day to day looking a certain way. And when you're getting away from that, it's scary for people. I love what you just said about Alan DeGeneres line, be kind. And kindness is just not about being kind to someone who agrees with you or, or does things for you, right? It's not about, and this is, I'm going to use the political sense again, like Democrats can't be friends with Republicans and Republicans can't be friends with Democrats. And I do not like that mentality because it's like, you can't just adopt a label because everyone carries labels every day, right? We are all adopting different labels, new labels. We are getting rid of all labels. And sometimes we hold on to old labels to, to justify our identity. Right. And I feel that, just because you know someone is is 70 year, years old i can't be friends with them that goes back to the political stance as well just because ellen is friends with george bush and he's a republican and that does not what people go oh my god what is this new voodoo thing happening right and the thing is that all this while people have been friends right like i'm going to use um LGBTQ for the longest time they were in the closet and then when the time when the era moved right where their voice was being heard everyone is more vocal about this is my identity this is not something happened overnight this is not something that adopting overnight this is how I'm born and and then the whole wave of Christians especially and, and Muslims too came out and said oh this is some kind of witchcraft and this is not how God created you. That kind of mindset came about because traditions are so embedded, right? And when we talk about traditions, traditions are maddening. It's something that a group of people or a gender, like the, the dominant gender back in the day, male, created rules that women should be like this. This group of people should be like this. You know, you should only be friends with people who agree with you you should only be good to people who are christians or muslims or buddhists or hindus or whatever religion that you practice and that kind of got handed down over generation and generation and that i feel that that's a generational flaw that we as a society have forgotten to to truly look into it because traditions are created I'm not going to say created blindly. Traditions are created to cater to exclusive groups of people, right? It's exclusion. It's excluding certain groups and including only specific groups. And as that is passed along, then comes this culture and that culture becomes really strong because as you practice that particular tradition you recruit more people into it and more and more people into it it's, it becomes more like a a, a song right I, I don't know like a taylor swift a groupie or something <laughs> where you're like oh yeah taylor swift and then you eat breathe live sing 
go take a poop, shower, all toilets fit. So I feel that that's how traditions have become. Traditions were created for exclusive people by dominating genders or groups or privileged groups. And that created a, a culture where it can't be morphed. But now people are becoming more and more visible and more open to shifting that whole paradigm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too, especially um, thinking about when you're talking about like traditions and cultures being passed down. And I think there's another side of the coin that you did miss, but I think it's really important to think about is that culture isn't always like people are willing to accept it, right? Um, I think there's also like when culture is like kind of forced upon you. And I think about it in the sense is when we think about like imperialism or colonialism. Um, so that's, very important to really also consider is because sometimes culture isn't just, you know, oh, we're all accepting or because I'm a Christian, I'm going to do, you know, Christian things or because I'm a Jew, I'm going to do Jewish things when it's like, okay, well, if you're being, you know, there's colonialism or imperialism, right. it's not just imperialism of like economies, it's imperialism of cultures, um, you know, social structures. And because there's a lot, I mean, we can see that a lot of states were maybe like matrifocal. And now, like, they're not anymore. And so we've seen that, I think, countless times throughout, you know, history, states becoming extractive states, states becoming, like, little Europe's concept in, like, political science, really talking about that, about how culture isn't always, you know, just kind of a willing acceptance. And because it is there for so long or it's been imposed, it's really hard to change these type of things, which I do think that we can look at, like, you know, public policy and see that there are some attitudes or polling, seeing some shifts. But as a whole you can see that no you bring up a really good point and i'm not really well versed in imperialism but you brought up a really solid point right it's not just about accepting it's also uh being imposed mm -hmm. and that's a solid point that you brought up as to how cultures are being imposed onto people and that is inherently present in some corporations right and in nations as well and i'm not going to talk about the nations yet <laughs> that's what i was like yeah i feel like you could have a lot of like discussion about you know and like your own personal experience having lived in a right colonial state or living in multiple states i mean countries that have been you know right overtaken by the united kingdom <laughs> no that's true because i yeah was born in a colonized state. <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. And you can see how, like, and I feel like we even see that here with, like, you know, Native American populations. It's like their culture is totally, like, they're erasing language, erasing cultures. It's, like, happened here, and it's, you know, cultural genocide is a real thing, and it's one of, it's heartbreaking. It really is. And it happens all around the world. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And colonization right from that perspective it's it's i feel that it has happened and some of the countries have embraced it because it was part of you need to become better and that was the mindset which was promoted right you need to become better but what mm. is better mm. right. better is so subjective the term better itself is so subjective and i feel that better is so synonymous to how we look at success too right when when you talk about what is success to you and we asked a lot of people and i had the opportunity to speak with different age groups 
I asked what does success mean to you with a seven-year-old? I asked what does success mean to you with a 30-year-old, with a 24-year-old, with, from different parts of the world? They define success something so different, so polarizing that has got nothing to do with money or career or being rich. The seven-year-old, I believe I shared this with you a few months ago, the seven-year-old said, well, success is when I help my friends to become better. Mm. Or when I help my friends who have fallen down and I help them up. That's so... (laughs) Right. It's unbelievable how, you know, and I wish that we could channel like more of that youthful nature because I feel like we're not anymore. I think that, you know, to be better, it's like exactly when you ask, like, who says what is better? Like, when we say to be better, are we reinforcing especially, you know, I keep bringing it back to like this global kind of perspective. When we say better, are we reinforcing Western values? You know, are we automatically making a value judgment that other cultures that aren't like, you know, cultures coming from like developed democracies, is that automatically better? You know, and so I think we have to like think about like, why is it better? Is it really better? Should we go to something, you know, more localized? Should we change you know the cultural shift where we are empowering more people when we're helping our friends get up you know when we're doing these things should we channel a more childlike energy throughout like the world because what really is better i think that once you get older you're like being better is like having more money or making sure that i have you know i'm getting ready for retirement and are we losing you know personal satisfaction at the expense of like our professional goals and you know, what really is better. Right. And, and that's so true. What is really better? <laughs> right? Because when we, t- let's take this back to the colonization countries, right? Uh, and a lot of countries were colonized. And Hong Kong, for example, is undergoing another turmoil right now. Mm-hmm. And China is trying to take it over and it, it bleeds at so many different levels. Uh, Hong Kong, a game that actually was, I don't know if you've heard the game World of Warcraft Blizzard. Mm-hmm. And so he mentioned something about Hong Kong and he, he now is undergoing all this scrutiny. And that at, to that level, right, if someone can be impacted at that level, it becomes such a dehumanizing factor, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have all this power to dehumanize someone just because he has got the right to speak his mind. Where did freedom of speech go, right? Freedom of being yourself go. And why did, and how did this whole wave of, I'm going to control you, I'm going to take away your rights come about? And I feel that that is another site to colonization, not just by the Brits, but with different nations, right? It's, it's going back to the, the whole question of what is better? How can we define better? And I feel that you mentioned a really good point about how can we bring out the childlikeness. And if you recall back to the days where you were a child, you were just free. You spoke your mind. You created whatever the bloody hell you wanted to create, and it was a success, <laughs> right? It, it was a success. I, I went in and I built whatever I created. A game, no one said it was stupid. 
because you created something and all other children wanted to be part of it because it was fun it was creative or even you know I think about like other adults and other you know quote-unquote like leaders what they would embrace that if you made a game maybe the game didn't make sense maybe the rules shifted but people were still supportive in you know participating in your idea and doing things and I feel like if we don't have like an immediate satisfaction or use for things as you get older I feel like it's just nobody really thinks about it or talks about it or really wants to be engaged with it so I think it's just yeah we really should tap into those you know things all over again and I think that we also need an openness to new ideas because I think a lot about the times when you're talking about you know what is you know freedom you know taking freedom as the example is freedom looks different in different states right like you can even see the differences in democracies so i our freedom and like the rights yeah. and the privileges and what we have you know in the united states is going to be different than you know what people think freedom is or what liberties are in you know like finland like these things are going to look different you know democracy doesn't look the same everywhere authoritarian regimes don't look the same everywhere there's I think if anyone ever gets interested, if you want to know who's more free in the world, Freedom House does a really nice um, analysis of like every country. And you can look in there and see like, what do, what is freedom in like their eyes? And are we as free? Or are we becoming less free? You know, where is that at? So I think it's just the metrics are different in each state and we all look different. And that's because obviously we have different exogenous factors impacting what that looks like. I like what you mentioned about freedom, right? Because freedom looks different in different states and different mm. countries. That that says a lot about leaders mm-hmm. and how they view their humans, their economy. And a lot of the times when you take freedom, it's not about, oh, I'm going to run naked around the country. <laughs> no, that it's could, not <laughs> Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we are not talking about um, mute beaches. <laughs> it's right. Freedom, no. to, freedom to be you. To be truly you. And I feel that that goes back to, again, to the equity of acceptance. Mm-hmm. How can we be accepted? How can I be accepted? How can he or she or they or them be accepted? Freedom is just not about well if you want to run naked go ahead in your home whatever but freedom is also expressing your knowledge your opinion oh the bell rang (laughs) (laughs) wake up (laughs) everyone wake up (laughs) freedom of bell (laughs) freedom from technology (laughs) yes And freedom is so nuanced, but let's talk about it, about the existence of a human perspective, right? Freedom of of wanting to be heard, freedom of wanting to speak, freedom of standing up for yourself, freedom to live uh, freely. When I say live freely, you do not need to think about where is my next paycheck going to come from? How am I going to pay my rent or my bills? Or how am I going to afford this healthcare? This is all very catered and relate it to the U.S. Oh, and in absolutely. Other yeah, absolutely, right? Other people don't have to worry about healthcare costs. <laughs> in fact, most industrialized democracies don't need to worry about that, but 
<laughs> right really but different. In, in other countries it can be different freedom of how am i going to take care of my parent or my aging parents or how am i going to give my child a really good education how can i fight for my daughter to have a voice in this country it it right. differs how freedom looks like but we need to start embracing the whole paradigm of humanity and humanity first. And I, and I know this is a slogan for a lot of uh, political campaigns right now, even on LinkedIn, hashtag humanity first. But truly, how are we looking at humanity first? Uh, are we going to truly approach it from uh, Maslow's hierarchy law of needs? Or are we just going to talk about it and say, okay, uh, Maslow's law is really important. We need to have people uh, value themselves and we need to value people. But how are we really implementing it? How are we really giving freedom to other people? You can't talk about freedom, and this is in the United States sense. We, we can't talk about freedom and make people slog like a dog from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., 40 hours a week. And I feel that that 40-hour work paradigm is still related to the industrialization era. No. And why not make people work for 20 hours and give them a full pay scale? They don't need to go part-time just because they're working 20 hours. Mm -hmm. right? So they are free from 20 more hours to, to give time for themselves. Go, go to yoga, go to the beach, go relax, go spend time with your mom and dad, with your... <laughs> partners that's freedom right yeah and i think that's what a lot of people forget that like the 40-hour work week was like a reprieve from 60 70 like 80-hour work weeks like before industrial industrial revolution and like those type of things but i think it's really interesting to think about when i while you were speaking about how what does freedom look like is that i feel like we do this culturally because i think because i've also heard it a lot of times when people are talking about like their personal life is like do I go through things? Am I suffering hardships? Yes, absolutely. But then people in like the other token, and I've done this as well, is like, oh, but somebody has it worse than me. So like my thing isn't as bad because somebody has it worse, or maybe I shouldn't complain as much because somebody has it worse. So I think we kind of do that culturally is I think that a lot of people will talk about like what, like, especially on like policy in the United States is like, we could do things more, we could do things better. Or like, you know, when we brought up like the LGBTQ community is like, oh, we have gay marriage. Haha, ha, ta-da, everything should be fine. But like that's, right, there are other things that ail different marginalized communities. So just because we're better than, say, you know, Uganda, which has super oppressive, like, you know, legislation and laws on the books towards, you know, particular like marginalized communities, that doesn't mean that we should stop fighting to be more equal and have more justice and have more equity. Like, in fact, that we should, you know, be a shining example for these things and like for, you know, having better policy. And that doesn't also mean that, like, if other states are more progressive in policy, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't copy them. We should like other them and we should think that they're bizarre and weird. I mean, because we're not always going to be number one in like formulating like the best policy and there's going to be other states that are going to try different things. So I think that we should, as a culture and as like a nation, should be able to say like, okay, yes, there are shortcomings. There are examples of other things that we could be doing. And there's also like, should we stop? Like, maybe we're not giving just handouts. Maybe we shouldn't just throw money 
at like, you know, different states, maybe we should start like giving a hand up as well, where we can help other people, you know, craft policies when we're, you know, at like the UN, like we should be able to like, you know, tackle these issues. That's why we have ambassadors, but a lot of them, their positions aren't actually filled in the state government. But um, we should be able to not like be a shining example, but also be able to learn from other people. And just because other people are worse off, that doesn't mean we can't be better. And I think that we're really digesting that a lot. You made a really important point about how we can learn from others, not just who are doing better, but who are not doing so well as well. I think that's a missing link that we fail to adopt. And this can be from a very uh, global perspective, from a global stance, from a national stance, from a political stance, and even from an organizational stance, right? I was speaking with two of the people the other day about diversity and inclusion, and a lot of people's approach to diversity is about okay let's get into a group and from the bottom not from the bottom from the top right the ceos the vps the p's let's get together and really bring some about diversity and when they brainstorm about diversity it's either black and white right it's african americans or caucasians there are so many different missing links that they forget about the disabled group the lgbtq group, the veteran group, the women who are moms and coming back to the workforce group, the college students, and the some POC, immigrants, so many different nuanced layers that they're forgetting. And then they're brainstorming as to, this is what we will do. And, and Lindsay, whom I had on Hot Talk the other day, she mentioned about one of the efforts that a lot of companies or even in countries that you see this would be let's have a multicultural day where everyone brings a dish let's do an international potluck i've been invited to international potluck and it's a cringing moment for me because i always feel like you can't learn about someone's culture you can't learn about someone's country just from a dish and one person can't be ambassador for the whole country one person can't be an ambassador for your community or even an ambassador for your home right household and that's the missing link that we are forgetting as to when we want to approach a bigger underlying systemic issues we need to approach it from the bottom include when i say bottom it's not a derogatory term that i'm using because that is how companies and countries have hierarchy people or people of different status or status quo i'm going to take for example a company organization you have the presidents the vps the chief officers whatever and then you go into middle management and then you go into employees, and then you have, uh, what do you call them? Um, entry level, entry <laughs> level, right? And oftentimes we refer to entry levels or they do not know anything, they do not have any experience. This is our own blind spots that we fail to learn or open our mindset as to how do we know that we, they do not have experience? just because their resume is so condensed doesn't mean that they do not have experience probably they do not want to share that with us just because they graduated out of college does not mean that they do not have experience but they have got wisdom 
they have lived a lot that they've seen a lot of things so we need to start tapping into all of our humans just because someone is a president does not mean that they know everything <laughs> no and i think that's really valuable too is um not just especially diversity or they'll do a lot of things which i've seen is like we have one person of color and that's good enough but that's not and i think that that is reductive for like people in the room right like and i think it also ignores that the fact that like people have intersections right like you can also be you know a latina but you can also be you know a queer latina and like how do those two intersections how do they give you like a different view of the world because diversity isn't just like oh we're just doing a checklist and i think that a lot of people when they haven't been in diverse like environments they don't understand what that actually looks like to have different points of view i think it's so easy to be really dismissive of it if you've never experienced it and having been in a lot of places where it is diverse and then having jumped back to where it wasn't diverse at all you're like wow this is actually really is a stark difference because people with different backgrounds they have different ways of thinking that are out of like the mainstream right we've been told like this is like one way to think and this is the best way to think but when you have people that are giving you just different perspectives there's no it's invaluable to really think about how their words and what they think actually matter so i think that that's something that we should also consider is it's not just something checked on a box or someone's youth it doesn't mean that they don't have new ideas um they're from a different culture they're from a different generation they've had different experiences which can be illuminating and that's when you know having different voices there can help find new solutions these can be maybe more fruitful solutions and i think that we should really be embracing of people regardless of like age you know sex gender um like sexual orientation because i mean these like lived experiences change like how you think and our society is evolving and you need everyone at the table to help you know navigate through like new changes i love it and you mentioned like having a diverse group of of people at the table mm -hmm. right and i read this article on forbes a few weeks ago and we had this discussion i participate in this forbes forum where we speak about diversity and this writer spoke about how american software developers in an american company and they were all local like americans they were either caucasian men or yeah. or african-american men and when they hired people from africa into the team the african team were able to see the problem from a very different perspective mm -hmm. because they were exposed to how how their communities and their neighborhoods experience difficulties yeah. so they were able to approach the software development issue from that perspective and they built a whole new innovative solution and it goes back to the point of you set bringing making the point of having that diverse scope of people right and solving issues and bringing in creative solutions and that's really important or seeing problems that you know maybe like i wouldn't have seen you know because mm -hmm. i was like if we're also we're also focused on you know you, you know the united states and what like we're gonna forget like what are some problems in like you know 
I'm trying to think of a country, <laughs> you know, and, you know, different types of the, uh, different parts of the world, you know, um, things can look different in like Tunisia, um, you know, versus, you know, what they look like in the U.S. And especially if you're like unveiling new things, new projects, new like products around the world, like you need people from those places to help you like unveil this thing, these things. And I just, I don't know if it's like, you know, having that like cultural arrogance where you think you know everything, but there's like, it's okay to say like, I don't know, or I don't have enough information. I think we're super afraid as a culture to be like, I have no idea. You know, I don't know. And I need help. And I think that's, what's really damaging. I think for our culture is like this inability to acknowledge like the need for help. That's true. It's the ego. I feel that that's the ego speaking. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to keep the ego at the door. When we enter, when we enter a room, and I'm not saying your bedroom or anything, enter a room <laughs> where, <laughs> where you are, you are intentionally entering to make a change right like in in a board meeting or in a meeting or even in a new space where you go in to meet new people leave your ego behind no one is bothered about how many years of experience you have and and this is something this is my pet peeve <laughs> this is my pet peeve in job postings and this is something that i've been researching on for the past two weeks and not that I'm trolling, but <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking at job postings and all job postings is 15 years of experience, 15 yes. years of experience in marketing, 15 years of experience in diversity, 15 years of experience in well, eight years. And I'm like, right. wow, what is it? I was like, where does that leave like the rest of us who are just entering the job market? Right. Eight, eight years or 15 years uh, of diversity inclusion programs of eight years or 15 years or 20 years of uh, what do you call it? organizational behavior? Yeah. But the thing is that they are forgetting 18, eight years, five years, 15 years does not define a person's expertise because mm -hmm. these are all moving parts of a culture. These are all moving parts of human evolution and culture evolution. Nothing is stagnant. Your 15 years of experience can become null in a space where the Z generation is. Right, right. And that is something that a lot of companies are failing to take into consideration. 15 years of experience does not make someone a leader in the space of diversity, inclusion, or people, or hiring talent, talent management acquisition. Because you have acquired talent, what, 20 years ago? That's a whole <laughs> different generation. Right. And also and just the emergence of new technologies or new, you know, other, you know, companies in the same like arena, you know, those things can become obsolete a lot more quickly than I think people are willing to. Admit. Right. And they have to, to forget, you need to relook at how you are welcoming other people. This is going back to expressing yourself you mentioned about how can i express your, your myself and that's directly related to equity of acceptance how are we accepting people to come as they are creative as they are to build something as they are not just to impact us but to impact people who are yet to come in and belong with us or wanting right. to 
to belong with. And that's the element that a lot of people are forgetting. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that we should be able to, and it's, I think it's going to start from younger generations as just being open about like new ideas and accepting and hearing from other people, because I think that we've lived through, you know, people not really listening to us or being like, you're young, you don't know, or, you know, you're not going to, you don't understand how the real world works. And I'm like, well, there's, I mean, (laughs) there are, I mean, if you just even think about and to really kind of go into like a more negative space, I mean, there's kids who have experienced trauma that, you know, somebody 40 years old and, you know, living in the suburbs and living a really nice life has never experienced what I, you know, those things, but I say that they have more knowledge of the real world. I think that they would have a deeper understanding of different parts of the world and how the world can be, you know? So I think that we shouldn't just dismiss somebody just because they don't have the same experiences we do. I was, you know, the real world looks different for different types of people. There isn't just one monolith of what the real world is. But I have- Maybe culturally we'll get there. <laughs> that's the whole point of culture culture evolution right but i do have a problem oh i'm going to start fights with everyone now i do have a problem when people say the real world you do not know how the real world looks like or the real world is going to get here so what have i been living in some kind of a virtual reality real world consists of every single thing real world consists of school when a child goes to school that's real world are you trying to say that's some kind of a dream right and when you enter the workforce that is real world and people have this misconstrued thinking that real world is where everyone is mean everyone is gonna bite you in the eyes and bring you down yes that is part of the real world but what is the other side of the real world it is how you make an impact how you change, how you become a catalyst to shift that culture fit into culture evolution. Because we've been living in a culture fit plane and the framework is already happening how to move that into culture evolution. Yeah, and I think that uh, when people say that too, I think they're ignoring the fact that institutions, like smaller institutions like education, like the workplace, you know, like religious organizations is that they are a microcosm of society. So our values are reflected in these organizations. So if you start seeing change in these organizations, you can make a change to greater society. I mean, because we're seeing schools that are trying new measures to be more equitable, to be more transparent, or to be more inviting for youthful kids, or to invite and youthful kids, (laughs) um, to like, invite the youth and to have them take a a greater leadership role so they are getting the tools it might not necessarily they might not be in congress or they might not be you know the ceo of a fortune 500 company sure but like the education is just as reflective of society as your forbes you know fortune 500 company is you know so i think that we need to reevaluate like what really that is is that like institutions are reflective of society they're impacted by societal norms and I think that that shouldn't be a way to dismiss people I think it's just really reflects like people not having an understanding of what society is and the components of society and what the real world really is because it's composed of so many different institutions and organizations that's what the real world is just because it's not one you're familiar with doesn't mean 
it's any less reflective. Very well put. I know that we have got about six more minutes <laughs> and during the end of the show, we normally condense and we shift, we do a, a needle shift, right? Mm -hmm. From the negative into a positive. So let's right. explore four things to each. How can we take micro actions to shift that whole framework and paradigm of culture fit into a culture evolution perspective? So I think that kind of thinking about the first two, I'm thinking about the ability when we first kind of started talking about how we can learn from other people. I think that what we can do in our own personal lives is to be able to ask for help, say when we don't know things and be able to like learn from others, very willingly learn from others. Like don't just, you know, be reluctant about like your pursuit of new knowledge. I think being active learners each day is really what's going to help us. Um, and I think secondly, is that don't think that where you're making a difference or where you're being a leader, that it's too small. So, you know, think of like you as being like a building block of what society is. So if you make change in your, I don't know, at your church or um, you make change at like your mosque, like don't think that that isn't impacting society, right? You're impacting young minds. You're impacting future leaders. You're maybe going to impact current leaders. Um, and you're going, if you can change little things, if you're a teacher and change like the environment in your classroom, you can make that appealing and attractive for other people and then they will replicate it at other places or they'll share what they've learned. So they'll share what they enjoy about these spaces. And if we can impact small places and change culture in small places, it's like, you know, it's a stepping stone. We can change culture, you know, in different organizations in different arenas. So if we keep expressing our experiences and saying what we love and what we don't like i think that that's where we can get closer to what the best culture for all of us will look like the best society thank you for sharing with that <laughs> so from my two sons that's how we should end our show my two cents my first cent my first one cent would be Include, include people from the bottom. When I say bottom, try not to look at it in a derogatory manner mm -hmm. because we need people to, to pull ourselves up and to pull themselves up and to build a really effective, conducive community. Do not be afraid and always include people who do not look like us, who do not sound like us, who do not agree with us and who are not of the same level as us, it could be who's not a CEO, who's not the president of a country, who's not a manager, and someone who is an entry-level student or entry-level person in your company. Because they have got different thought processes, they have got different processing processes, they have got different types of exposure in the current era, who is not born in our generation or your generation, you might be born in the baby boomers generation and you might not have the exposure to what certain things are. You might not even have the exposure to what AI are or how people are learning nowadays or what different kinds of apps someone is using who's 18, 16 or 15. So 
be courageous, be vulnerable to include people from different levels, 10 levels down, because they might just have the solution that you might not have. Mm-hmm. And number two, chuck your ego at the door. <laughs> because yeah. when we build a culture of evolution, it's not about me. It's not about when I was born. It's not about my generation anymore. It is about my generation, but it's also about including generations who are the now and who are already been around for years and who are afraid that AI is taking up space. Robots are going to be replacing them. So you need to leave your ego at the door and create a space at the table for everyone. Because that's diversity, that's equity of acceptance. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think it's really wonderful. And I've seen spaces be transformed when different voices are heard. It's nothing to be afraid of. Um, You know, I think about how we should, while you were saying that, I was like, we should treat people like how we treat babies, but not in the sense that like we need, I don't need my diaper changed as somebody (laughs) who is, but you know, right. But I was like, but you know, when we treat babies and when babies are learning new things, think about the kindness that people share towards babies, you know, the patience that they have. So if someone's new or someone is, you know, maybe they're 55 years old learning new technologies, they should all be treated the same as like, regardless of how much experience they have, when there's something new to be learned, treat them, you know, like we treat a baby, you know, we, if they need help walking, we, you know, kind of hold their hand or we're patient, we're kind, we explain things multiple ways. We tell them like, you might not have gotten it the first time, but if you keep trying, you'll get it. So it's like, we're very encouraging, we're patient, we're kind. We shouldn't stop that just because someone turns three years old. You know, we should keep doing that towards people because, you know, if that's how we help babies learn who are literally new for new into the world and new, you know, experiencing new things every day, I don't understand why we don't. Um, extend that kindness to people when they're 25, people when they're 45, people when they're 67. You know, like we should continue doing that because, you know, it's nurturing. We can really nurture people and help them get to, you know, a better place, you know, better confidence um, where they can feel, you know, more comfortable contributing because of how we treat them. Absolutely. Treat, so treat everyone like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Just do not go change their diaper. <laughs> Unless they ask, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> no. But no, treat everyone the way you want to be treated and treat everyone like babies in a very nurturing sense where kindness right. goes a long way, right? And yeah, I absolutely love the session with you, Annalie, and I hope listeners, you got something valuable. Please do leave a review. <laughs> and a rating and share this episode of culture evolution okay fun (laughs) all right see you next week all right see ya